0: Welcome to the power five cast part two of our 2020 NFL draft coverage. I'm here with Bobby Berger. I'm Jacob Doyle. We are going to go over the rest of our coverage for the 2020 NFL draft today. Bobby, we got done with part one. We went through our mock top 10. You learn anything from that as we get into our stuff here today?
1: I enjoyed that. Um, hopefully our listeners, uh, got a good glimpse of what you would do. Basically what I would do too. Um, if we were an NFL franchise or GM versus what some of these GMs will actually do. So hopefully it was a good kind of uh good tango there.
0: Okay. And then also in part one, we talked a lot about the top guys, obviously doing our mock top tens today. We're looking a little more down the board. We're going to look at some second day guys, some third day guys, and then also the gambling side of things a little bit. So, Uh, With this kind of stuff, do you look at things differently, you know, with teams approaches later in the draft? I know you talked about how you don't necessarily like the idea of the fifth, sixth and seventh round picks. So are you just throwing flyers and looking for guys with the highest ceiling when you're going through maybe your third day guys, or do you want someone who you just think can make the team? How do you look at that kind of thing before we get into this?
1: So I talked about it, um, before, you know, if you look at the last couple of years, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds has been terrible just because of the wealth of information, um, that's available in the modern you know world of 2020 um i'm taking the matter matt rule approach i want high upside guys um that uh you know can hey maybe someone missed on him for some reason but they have all the physical tools you know think of someone like dak prescott who eh, people had eh, maybe he's not very accurate uh but he came around to accuracy even though i'm a stickler for accuracy but his pocket presence improved, other stuff improved, and then he turns out he's a pretty darn good football player. The other thing I'm looking for are people that are injured. Because I think if this, there's ever a year, uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the fall. If there's every year to take a chance on some guys who are a little dinged up right now, now's the time. And especially in the 5th, 6th, and 7th rounds, if you guys fall because of injury... I would rather take a chance on them because they've showed, they've proved it at a high level, and injury is the only reason they fall. Think of think of a guy like I, I talked about last pod, Maurice Hurst. He had a heart condition for the Oakland Raiders. They took him in the fifth round. He is a really, really good football player. Um, so someone like that who falls uh, versus injury, is someone I'm cover I'm trying to get in fifth rounds five, six, and seven, if, if that makes sense.
0: It makes perfect sense. We'll try to see if we can uncover some of those guys as we go through here. Uh, We're going to start with our can't miss prospects. That'll be the first topic we cover my, uh, you know, we did our mock top 10, so I'm not going to cover these guys again, but I did have Chase Young, Jeff Okuda and Andrew Thomas all in my can't miss prospects. They're just as solid as they get at the position, kind of in the boring kind of way, how we talked about how you talk about with either defensive players or linemen, where it's the 10 year starter in the NFL kind of thing. So uh, I had those guys as can't miss. But outside of my mock top 10, the first guy I had was Jerry Judy as a can't miss the wide receiver from Alabama. I used uh, Walter Football as my mock draft reference just because they had a seven-round mock draft. So when I was going through this stuff, I, I kind of used those numbers as a reference point, and it was an updated mock draft. So they had him go number 12. And I don't think there's anything wrong with taking him there. The one question I did have with him that I I found interesting, his yards per catch went from 18.9 as a freshman, 19.3 as a sophomore, and then dropped to 15.1, which was actually 13.5 before the Michigan bowl game, where he had six catches for 204 yards. So it was quite a drop from his sophomore to his junior year in that regard. And he is a guy who's known more for his route running anyway, in, in, in and out of breaks. So Uh, You know, in the NFL, maybe he's not a a blow-the-lid-off-the-defense kind of guy and more of just a a Jarvis Landry type, and does he become a slot guy? I I don't know. I I don't know enough about the X and O's of that kind of stuff with him, but I just don't see a scenario where, where as we talk about, we look back in a few years and and find out that he just totally washed out or something. I I don't see a way where he's not at least productive at at what they're asking him to do.
1: Yeah, it feels like he has a pretty high floor. Uh, Yeah, yeah. uh, I, I do, you know, I... I'd like a wide receiver if I'm taking him number one. I want a wide receiver that plays on the outside that can attract um, safety help over the top. And then next thing you know, he the whole offense is opened up. Um, so, Judy, just because he plays a slot, and maybe he can play the outside. I don't know. Um, but if Judy could play the outside, I would like him a lot more. So, maybe a little bit of a hot take there.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I just, as far as what he's going to be asked to do, I, you know, like I said, high floor, I think you said it best with that part of it. That's kind of my angle for it. So,
1: um, all
0: right. Well, who do you have up then for your can't miss prospects? Is there anybody that you had in your mock top 10 that you just want to name and then move on from there? Yeah,
1: I had Jedrick Wills. Um, we talked about him. Um, I watched the entire Auburn game, the entire LSU game. This guy's the real deal. Um, His feet, his body control, fantastic. Um, Chase Young, I don't need to get into him. The one guy I do have uh, is C.D. Lamb. Um, Jake, how many times were we watching Oklahoma two years ago, and would we say to ourselves, you know what? Marquise Brown is good, but C.D. Lamb might be better. Oh, yeah. Um, And Brown was really, really good in the NFL draft this past year. I I don't think there's anything Lamb can't do. The one knock on him. And teams like the Raiders will take this into consideration. He does have a bit of a prima donna attitude. Do you, do you think that with him? I don't know if it's that. He is extremely yeah. passionate. Okay, uh, I'll I'll say that. Okay. Now we we know all the best wide receivers. A lot of them have this, right? Um, but at the Raiders are a team like after dealing with the Antonio Brown, you know, kind of deal. I'm not sure they're ready to go through any kind of wide receiver that's going to cause any type of problems. And there was a couple of times last year on the sidelines where C.D. Lamb passionately expressed his <laughs> question, uh, about not getting the football. So one thing to monitor with him.
0: OK, uh, my guy, my next guy, this is going to be my last guy for the can't miss prospect. And this is Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU. OK. They have- or football draft one number 20. That's actually on the very high end. I'm thinking of him more in the 20s. And really it's just because he tested so well at the combine and, and compared to a guy like Kalevon Chaseon, a, a lot of mock drafts him going have him going after that. And it just seems like Chaseon is more of a one-dimensional uh, a slower, more just pass rusher kind of guy, but Patrick Queen ran a 4.5, 40, and, and he's more like Kenneth Murray as far as the way he tested at the Combine, but what separates him from Kenneth Murray to me is just the level of competition that he went against in the SEC week in and week out and all the way through the playoffs, so playing around a bunch of pro guys, testing off the charts, I, I, again, kind of the, the, the boring cliche kind of thing about being a, a starter in the league, but I, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if he's, a starter on on a above average league above league average defense in the NFL. So I mean, he's got all the tools. So
1: well, he uh, jumped off the tape against Clemson, right in the finals. Yeah,
0: yeah. he really raised his stock towards the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like him in, in, in the twenties. I don't typically love linebackers, but he, he's one of those modern ones and kind of how you talked about with Isaiah Simmons, a little bit of that. I mean, not quite as off the charts, but at the very least it better be a guy who tests well and, and can cover a tight end and can kind of do all the things that you're going to, you he better be a well-rounded linebacker if you're going to take one in the first round. So I like it. All right. So what do you have next? Anything else in can't miss?
1: I don't. Just those three there. I, I think you could make um, arguments for other players, um, but as far as can't miss, I really tried to limit it, uh, so to speak, as you know who is just an average prospect and who okay these guys are really stand out. And it was just those three for me.
0: Okay, let's move then to our second-day sleepers. I'll go ahead and start it off with that. My first one up is Lynn Bowden Jr., the receiver from Kentucky. They have him going at number 60 in the Walter Football mock draft. It's just one of those things that we talk about. If you redraft this draft in in five years – I can't imagine that he won't go higher than that. He's just one of those guys where we kind of talked about this as the season went on when he was at Kentucky. it's one of he's one of those guys where if your NFL team drafts him, you're not even going to ask any questions about it three years later when he's on the team and making big plays and that kind of thing. The one knock I did see on him and maybe this isn't really his fault is he's he needs to get more of his work done beyond the line of scrimmage to be worth you know being a second you know third round pick end of the second early third round pick. Uh, And he did have to move to quarterback, so that wasn't his fault. But it it can't just be all gimmicky kind of stuff. He is going to have to be able to at least make some plays down the field, too, you would think. But I mean, think think of a Debo Samuel type guy and being number one on the depth chart as far as kind of the gimmicky offensive plays, something that the defense has to key on. I think in the NFL, we're starting to see some of those college wrinkles move into the NFL a little bit. And he can be one of those guys at that position in the return game. He's got incredible vision. So if you just get him in the ball in a bunch of different ways. And and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's he's a a sleeper there on day two. I I think I would prefer him probably at the beginning of the third round, somewhere in that range.
1: I like it. Um, Do you think his stock was hurt by him actually playing quarterback last year?
0: Uh, yeah, you know, and it's interesting, that's sort of what caught my eye about the whole getting his work done, but beyond the line of scrimmage kind of thing, because you are going to be drafting him as a receiver. So yeah, I mean, you do, you ultimately would want to see more reps as a sophomore at Kentucky. It's not like they had an incredible passing game. He did have 67 catches and that's going against, you know, hands down the, the, the top corner for an sec team all the way through that schedule. I mean, cause in the passing game, it was basically him.
1: Yeah, I, I think um, for upside, he, he would definitely fit the bill.
0: Okay, so who did you have for your second-day sleepers?
1: Uh, we, we might disagree on this one, Jake, so oh. I will talk this one through. Um, so I have Jalen Hurst for Oklahoma, and I think you need more of a creative offensive coordinator to pull this off. But if Josh Allen can be quote-unquote successful in the NFL, uh, and then you look at what um, – that Drew Locke did late down the stretch with the Broncos. He showed a couple of flashes there. There is no reason Jalen Hurts can't be successful uh, in the NFL. All he's ever done is won a lot of games. I know he's always had guys around him, but I think he's a modern-type NFL quarterback uh, um, with upside. You know, you look at a guy like Dak Prescott who you know, kind of came through. Uh, I think you could almost put him in some of that similar type of mold. So I I think Jalen Hurts, and you talked about it last pod, how quarterback is such a valuable position. This is a guy who has upside. You know he has leadership skills, and you know he's athletic enough. He just has a few things in the passing game, maybe a little better pocket presence. He could become a really good quarterback in my opinion.
0: So what do you do with him then if your plan is it's day two? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what kind of team is taking him? Somebody who is saying, you're our backup. We're going to try to develop you over the number, a number of years. We're going to – yeah. we have a spot open. I mean, what what's the situation there for a team that wants to go in on that?
1: I, I think you're a team that maybe drafts late in the first round. Um, maybe a team that knows they don't have the draft capital to go up and get one of the top quarterbacks um there's a lot of teams this year that actually don't have a first round pick you know look at like someone team like the uh, chicago bears um someone like them uh it's almost at this point why not take like you said why not take a chance at a quarterback being good because you're not going anywhere if you don't have a good quarterback and if you look at all the quarterbacks right now they're all mobile
0: yeah um, right exactly
1: so and he's definitely mobile so and he's gotten better each year as a passer so
0: Yeah, well, I mean, like, think about the Lamar Jackson pick. It doesn't look nearly as silly when he's basically like the league MVP. And it's like, huh, maybe we way overthought that, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe at some point production means at least something. So,
1: yeah, it's interesting. That's my thought there.
0: Okay, well, I came around to your side a little bit. When you were first saying that, I was like, man, I don't know. But if we're talking second day, yeah, yeah, okay. I can see it happening. Okay. Um, All right. My next one is Shane Lemieux, the offensive guard for Oregon. They have him at number 40, kind of like Patrick Queen. That's on the high end. I think of him more as a middle second round pick. And the reason I have him, it's more of what he stands for as a guard. A lot of times, if it's a weaker tackle draft, we start to see more guards and centers going early, but that's not really the case with this year's. We could see eight tackles going really before anyone, I guess, Cesar Ruiz uh, would be the guard or center that would go first. But, you know, Shane Lemieux, he was playing under Cristobal, who's an offensive line guy, one of the best offensive lines in the country with with Seul Sewell and Throckmorton and Jake Hansen even is going to get drafted, it looks like, for the, that Oregon offensive line. They say that Lemieux was a team leader. He's a smart guy. So at 6'4, 310 in a guard here, it's one of those things how we talked about in the last podcast about what, what kind of guys do you want to sign for a second contract? So, you know, a, a guy like him, I wouldn't have nearly as much of a problem with that compared to in this range early to mid second round. When you start taking those running backs, kind of how we talked about, I'd much rather pivot and go to another position like this. If I feel like there's some value there because these guys just haven't been going off the board with other positions being so stacked. So it's Shane Lemieux and more of just what he stands for here of in this range. feeling like you can get some value with the depth at offensive line, kind of how I talked about.
1: I'm going to have to go back and watch his tape because I actually didn't watch his tape. Um, I'm really intrigued. Um, you know, us being the college guys, I don't, I'm not sure. Jake, do you think a lot of the public out there that might not be in tune with college is aware of how well Oregon's recruited lately? Uh
0: no I I don't I I bet a lot of people don't even know who their coach is right now I I would think a lot of NFL people would know more about oh yeah they had Chip Kelly and then kind of like what yeah. happened to them kind of thing, um uh,
1: and it's a totally different um you know recruiting environment I mean those guys are pulling in top five classes nowadays right um maybe top ten but they're getting yeah, some yeah yeah for sure. Um, so, I thought that's really interesting. I, I'm excited to go back and watch some tape on him. So, I love his Yeah, size. he's just a solid
0: like guy, and it was a big part of what they did. So,
1: yeah. Um, I like it. All right.
0: All right. Who do, who do you have next, then?
1: My next one, it, it's I'm kind of cheating here because this guy's gotten more draft buzz from when I first started looking into this, but and he might go to the first round. But Trevon Diggs from Alabama um, is a younger brother of Stephon Diggs. Um, and he's had a really good career at Alabama. Him getting hurt in 2018 really hurt their defense. He has all the tools. He's very long. He should be a solid man coverage cornerback for the right team that plays more man uh, man coverage. And I think this is the interesting. He was a punt returner for Nick Saban. And you know, with all the talent on Alabama's team, if he's trusting you to be the punt returner for that defense, you have some skill. So, uh-huh. Trayvon Diggs, I like him for wh- whatever team takes him.
0: Yeah, it does seem like there is starting to be some buzz surrounding him. I think maybe people are catching on a little bit, so that's a good one. Uh, well, I'm going to stick with Alabama then for my next guy. It's Raquan Davis, okay. and it's kind of how you talked about. They have him at, at number 62, so end of the second round, sometime in the third round. Uh, kind of how we talked about with D-tackles, like a Derek Brown type guy, where you're going to pick him in the top 10, well, maybe I'll roll the dice on a guy like Rayquan Davis, who's 6'6", 3'11", 11-inch hands – uh, as as a D tackle, maybe going for him and I, maybe as a, a, a team that plays a three, four, seems like he could possibly be a D end in that kind of scheme. I don't totally know what happened with him. His first, it looked like his second year, I guess it was, he had 10 tackles for a loss and eight and a half sacks. His last two years, his production really slipped off. I, I guess his family members met with him to figure out kind of how committed he was. He did come back and make second team all sec last year. But it's one of those things with just the the way he tests and his physical size and how long his arms are and everything on the defensive line. It's a guy who has a lot of tools, was a big prospect, obviously went to Alabama, was part of good teams. So if you're sitting there in the third round able to get a prospect like this, it's kind of one of those high ceiling, crash or burn, boom or bust kind of things. But so, yeah, he's a second day sleeper for that reason for me.
1: Like you said, you know, why would you take a guy like Derek Brown when this guy, you know, he's not going to be as productive, but. Who knows? Maybe he finds a different motor and um, has a come-to-Jesus moment. And Because like you said, that size, you can't teach that.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, um, All right, how many more do you have in this category?
1: I have two more. Uh, what about you?
0: Yep, I have two also. So why don't, okay. you, why don't you give us your next one?
1: All right, I'm sticking in the SEC. Um, I'm going with Van Jefferson. Um, he might be a little later, so I'm making up with my Trevon Diggs you know, in the second round with Van Jefferson, maybe in the third. Uh, But I think he has potential, right? Look, the Urban Meyer offense, which is basically what Dan Mullen runs at Florida, does not feature wide receivers whatsoever. They want to run the ball. They want to play ball control. um, They have all these gadget-type plays. It's great for college football. But you know what? It does not showcase wide receiver in their talent. It does not do that. If you look at um, some of the guys who come out of those systems like Terry McLaurin or Michael Thomas, those are two guys that fell in the draft uh, because they didn't have as much production in college. And I think that you can make a mistake being just an analytics guy um, looking at college. Now, analytics – I was an economics major at Notre Dame. I love analytics. However – some of these college programs, the variance in the type of offenses they run is so wide that it's going to throw off some of the stats. Van Jefferson um, played in an offense that did not does not feature wide receivers whatsoever, and so because of that, I think you're going to find a really, really talented guy who just wasn't used very well in college. And he's one of the exceptions where analytics are not going to pick up. And the best thing I liked about Van um, Jefferson – In college against LSU stud cornerback Derek Stingley, he had four catches, which doesn't sound like much, but there aren't many guys who could say that. And he looked pretty darn good doing it. So give me Van Jefferson as a day two, day three sleeper.
0: Okay, Bob, I love the breakdown, and I will have more to say about Van Jefferson later.
1: All right, fair enough.
0: Uh, and it's funny that you were kind of talking about a couple of Ohio State guys there in the system, because my next guy is actually K.J. Hill receiver from Ohio State How about they have that? him in this mock draft going number 80. So we're starting to get into the back half of the third round by that point. And so just in a deep receiver class, he, he kind of falls off the radar a little bit. And it's one of those things where you talk about the 40 and how smart it is to run. He ran a four six. I, I don't know how much that helped him. It's it, He's a pretty pedestrian, in, you know, af, athletic wise, uh, not the best athlete, but he's the leading leading uh, reception guy in Ohio State history and we saw with Dwayne Haskins when he threw 50 touchdown passes when it was Terry McLaurin who you talked about and Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon and K.J. Hill. K.J. Hill was the one who actually had some of the biggest numbers on the team as far as catches and everything and then they go back to Justin Fields and it's his first year as a starter first year in the system not as good a passer as it's, it's Haskins are not asking him to do the same kind of things and Hill's production kind of dropped off a little bit but he's a good route runner he has good hands uh, I mean you're looking for a, a slot receiver here i don't think he's a guy who would play on the outside but it kind of feels like a tom brady type guy to me kind of a safety blanket type and i know you like receivers who could play on the outside but once you start getting into the back end of the third round uh, you know if you're talking about a guy who can make a lot of catches and keep the chains moving for you and, and make the team and actually have a role for you i think kj hill is a decent guy here
1: i have another um guy just like that um in in the third round so we'll, we'll have to We'll have, to, we'll have to break him down um, in, in a minute, but uh, yeah, KJ Hill—he was a guy on, you know, we'd play on uh, in, in college football. You know, DraftKings. You know, he he would have these big, like, three touchdown games. So, you know, he uh, he has some ceiling to him, um, at least individually, game wise. You do have a little concern about that four six, um, but you I mean you talked about it in the first pod. Like, what would he have run at maybe Ohio State's pro day? You know.
0: Yeah, and you kind of know going in that he's not the most explosive player on earth. So yeah. no, I hear you can work you. around that. All right, so who do you have as your last one here in the second day sleepers?
1: My last one is Chase Claypool. Um, for whatever reason, like I, it seems like Notre Dame wide receivers are almost—it's either they're underutilized um, with Brian Kelly, which I think does happen a little bit. Um, they're a little more friendly to tight ends. Um, and it, They do run a very simple route tree. That might be some of it, but they have kind of a history here. They're starting to develop one at least of wide receivers who are kind of drafted a little lower than they should if they did a redraft. When you look at Will Fuller and Miles Boykin, um, who had a good year for the Ravens last year as a rookie, mm-hmm. and then you look at Chase Claypool, who test, tested better in Miles Boykin in every you know every you know stat imaginable. And he put up all kinds of numbers and he was a guy who didn't really matter the matchup he produced. Um, And it's like, yeah, he's the type of guy who has that wide receiver number one upside. And you kind of scratch your head and you look at his stats, him versus Denzel Mims. And it's like, why are these guys so far apart? You know, can you explain that?
0: Well, I actually wanted to ask you is, did you know before the combine that he was going to put up those kind of numbers? Did, did you was it was it known around Notre Dame that he was that kind of an athlete? I, I just I, I knew of his size and so I just I never really thought of him in in that way.
1: Right. I, I it didn't. I didn't. Um uh, because you know in Notre Dame's offense, they just it just the Notre Dame the wide receiver for whatever reason is just not featured. Um and the tight ends usually featured in Notre Dame's offense, so uh at least lately. Um it I it really surprised me, but yeah you look back and you know like we're doing these you know breakdowns of individual games chase claypool was a guy we'd be like yeah tough matchup but you know what he's done well in bad matchups before so maybe him doing well at the combines is was kind of a light to me and say you know what maybe this is why he did well in such bad matchups and i think an nfl team should absolutely take a chance on that
0: well i like that pick yeah that's a good one there for sure so OK, uh, my last one here is Bryce Hall, the cornerback from Virginia. He is number 90 in the Walter football mock draft that I looked at. The reason for that is he broke his ankle halfway through the 2019 season and missed the rest of the year. And you talked about guys with injuries. If we don't know what's going to happen, if things are going to be pushed back, that can benefit a guy like Bryce Hall. And Then you find out he slipped to the end of the third round kind of for no reason. I mean, the week before his injury on this same website, he was number 13 on their mock draft number 13 overall and and slips here to 90. And and that really is the reason. I mean, the only thing that happened between then and now is the injury. So I don't know what kind of scheme he fits in, but I mean, he was a really well thought of guy going into this last season. And I think the injury was the thing that hurt him the most. I I don't think it was that he got exposed or played all that poorly. I mean, I, I don't think he was lighting the world on fire, but I don't think it was enough to justify this kind of slip down to 90. So,
1: Yeah, it seems like there's some upside with that pick, potential at least.
0: Yep, so Bryce Hall for Virginia there is the last one for me. So, Okay, let's get into our third-day steals. How many guys do you have here for this one? I think I have a bunch. I have like seven or eight, I think.
1: You have a bunch. Um, I like a lot of the guys uh, you put up here, so uh, maybe I'll just comment if I like someone. I have four. And I think you have three, four, five, six, seven. You have um, eight or nine. So let's uh, let's talk let's talk into it for sure.
0: Okay, I'll do a two for one here. Then to start is AJ Dillon, the running back from Boston College, and Eno Benjamin, the running back from Arizona State. These guys were number 119 and number 120, so back-to-back in the mock draft that I looked at. So that was part of my inspiration for kind of clumping them together. And then the other reason is, once you get to this point in the draft, I, I, I'd like to take, if you are going to take a running back, and this is you know comfortably in the fourth round now, uh, You know, A.J. Dillon is a sledgehammer kind of guy, weighed 247, actually tested really well at the Combine. It's just one of those things, ran a 4.53, also had a 41-inch vertical, but you know what you're going to get with him. He only caught 21 career passes, so if you're asking him to do things that he can't do, that's your problem. But just like in a Derrick Henry kind of way, he might just be a one-cut, downhill-type guy, but when you're this late here, and just the amount of production that he put up, I mean, he rushed for almost 4,400 career yards at Boston College and 5.3 yards a carry as just an absolute workhorse, so... At this point, and then on the opposite end of that is Eno Benjamin, who is more of the the, the all-around type back, he had 77 catches in his, his two years as a starter, and that's the other thing I like about him, actually, is that he only started two years, so he doesn't have that much... Uh, uh, wear and tear on his legs. So 77 catches in those two years. The one thing that I was concerned about with him is he went from 5.5 yards per carry to 4.3 from his sophomore to his junior year. So I think that's what hurt his draft stock so much. And he only did 12 reps of 225 at the combine and he's 5'9, 207. So the Arizona state offensive line can definitely be blamed. They were not good in line yards or stuff rate, but the year before he took over as a starter, their offensive line was number 20 in stuff rate when they had to Mario Richard and Kalen Bellage, And then that fell off a cliff with Benjamin in his two years. So does he play any role in that, in, in those kind of numbers? Do you, can you ever blame a running back for that? If he's just not a guy, I, I don't have his broken tackle numbers, yeah. but just knowing his, his reps on the bench, weren't that good. And he's a smaller guy Could that go against an offensive line? If he's not a guy who's
1: breaking a lot of tackles. Absolutely. You have to break tackles. Um, We, we knew last year that Arizona state offensive line was going to be just dreadful and they lived up to the billing. Uh, They were dreadful, but I'm glad you brought that bench press. It's like you're five, nine, two and five, nine, two of seven. And you only did 12 bench reps. Yeah, exactly. Leave like, like, all right, man, like, what are you doing in the weight room? Like, are you the type of guy who just walks in and just does the minimal, um, You know, tries to break a little bit of a sweat? Are you the type of guy who just does the extra rep, grinds it out, treats every, uh, every weight lift like it's a game, they're trying to get better? Like That's a real question to mark for me, and I actually move him down my board because of that bench press. Yeah. As crazy as it sounds for a running back, but that kind of speaks to work ethic. And then the NFL, these guys have a ton of free time, way more than college. I mean, so much more than college. They're home for the majority of the year with all these rules they have on the NFL Players Association, on how little practice they actually have. There is so much onus on the player to work out, to train, to eat right, to not go out and party now that you have all this kind of money. And you're not doing that uh, and working out right in a controlled environment, which is basically almost 365 days a year. I have some serious questions.
0: Yeah, especially for a guy who doesn't have a natural size advantage as it is. So, yeah, I mean, that you're talking back into the fourth round here. His pass catching upside is pretty big for me at, at 77 catches over two years. So I, the more I was just thinking about it was end of fourth round. If you're getting him there compared to a guy like J.K. Dobbins, who I think has bad hands, isn't really going to help in the passing game. I, I know he's a good pass protector, but isn't going to catch a lot of passes. And you're taking him at the beginning of the second round and end of the fourth round for a guy who I think fits more into a modern offense that's sort of where i get off but that was a big red flag kind of how you talked about there at the bench press and what that can mean so uh those are those are just a package kind of examples of the the types of running backs i would look for and when i would start to take them and my philosophy would be just to try to find guys like that every couple years or just as needed so you don't end up having to take guys like we said and get them onto their second contract because you feel so much pressure because they were such a high pick for you so roll the dice
1: i i I hear you I, i totally hear you um on the thought process there, and I guess I'll get into one of my running backs here, uh, yeah. Anthony McFarland for Maryland. Um, I'd really want to hear what you think about him, but first I want to talk about why I like him. Um, he played in a terrible scheme a couple years. He played through injury in 2019. Apparently, after averaging eight yards a pop in 2018, he was a four-four at the combine. If you saw his Ohio State tape two years ago. He, I mean, when he gets drafted, he's just send a check to Greg Siano for being an absolute idiot when it comes to a defensive scheme. But nonetheless, he catches the ball well, too. But he has that explosive ability I like in running back, which kind of leads me to believe he has upside. Um, and, and I think he was really hurt by the scheme, uh, not only the scheme, but the talent around him uh, as well. He's only 5'9", but I, I think you have a good value proposition to Anthony McFarlane. Do you have any thoughts on him? Uh, not a whole lot. I, I actually really like that pick though, because two years yeah. ago, I mean, his
0: stock was going way up, and then it's just it was a weird year for Maryland. The way they started two and zero, and things were looking good, but since they were blowing those teams out early, he didn't yeah. have much work in those games. And then there were a lot of games towards the end where they were getting blown out, so he didn't really have a run in his last year where it was like. Fifteen carries, nineteen carries, and it was just between eighteen and twenty-two touches a game. You would never really see that with him. It'd be like seven carries for seventy-nine yards and two touchdowns, and then he left the game in the second quarter. Or they were getting smashed and had forty yards at halftime and never got the offense going. So it was just a a kind of a weird spot for him, like you talked about. So yeah, I I really do like that if he can fit into a, a, a place that can that can work with him a little bit more, a healthier environment. Sure. Okay, well, I'm going to do another double here because I have two receivers. Uh, One is Van Jefferson, and you already talked about him. The reason I put him in third day instead of second is because they had him at number 123 in this mock draft that I looked at. The one thing that you mentioned or you didn't mention is his dad, Sean Jefferson, played 13 years in the NFL and is the Jets receiver coach right now. So I I always like that and just – from, from like a, a technical standpoint, he just seems like he's well-schooled. I kind of combined him with a – he's a little bit of a combination in my mind of Jerry Judy and K.J. Hill, where mm-hmm. he, he has the route running polish uh, of, of a guy like Judy but is, isn't quite as athletic and, and doesn't have quite the same speed. He ran a 4.6, so he's a little more like K.J. Hill in that regard, has good hands too. Uh but he, he's a little bit bigger at six one two hundred and, and seems like he could play on the outside. So I guess maybe unlike those guys. But yeah, kind of the things you talked about with him too, where it seems like a little bit of a sleeper because of the system he was in. But he right. was a big recruit when he was at Ole Miss where he started his career for sure. So
1: Oh, I didn't know he started Ole Miss.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He was with uh AJ Brown and all those guys and uh TK Metcalf and yeah, that whole crew.
1: What a receiving core there. Oh yeah. F- wow. Uh,
0: okay. And so then the other receiver I had, and I'll just go quickly on him. I don't have as many thoughts. It was just number 161. So we're getting into the fifth, sixth round area. Tristan Jackson, uh, receiver yeah. for Syracuse. He tested pretty well. He's got big hands. He ran a four or five. He, he has a good vertical and he transferred to Syracuse from Michigan state. I saw one of the red flags with him it was just that he only has one year of production. I don't think that's that big of a deal. I think he was a fourth year junior. So he, he is a little bit of an older guy, but Syracuse, you know, going from Eric Dungy to DeVito, that was just, a disaster for them. And, and Tristan Jackson really carried their offense. He had over a thousand yards and 11 touchdowns. He was number 23 in the power five in targets. Uh, he's six, one to about 200 pounds. So uh, he's a guy, if you could get him to play on the outside and get him in vertical routes, he's, he's got some speed and got, has some athletic ability I, I mean, really carry that offense. They were they were absolute garbage without him, and he, he was a decent playmaker for them. And it's, he was on my fantasy team in, in our listener league, so I watched way more Syracuse than I probably should have. And just watching him out there was like, wow, this guy belongs on a different field than the rest of his teammates because he is just way better. So, yeah, towards the back end, if you could grab him there, that's sort of what I was thinking.
1: You know what? He's getting some buzz. Um, and, and Oh, I, is he really? Yeah, and I, I kind of like – I wasn't really even thinking about him, but now that you're talking about him, like I'm nodding my head, like you know what, like yeah, we should be talking about him. And you think about his quarterbacks, like um, <laughs> Devito was throwing with a water pistol all year because um, he was hurt and played hurt the entire year. Uh, Dungey was a run-first quarterback, um, so it's not like they uh, he had so many catchable targets. So yeah, you well, no, and that.
0: he never played with Dungey.
1: Oh, that, does that, was, that was
0: his transfer year where he was still sitting out.
1: Mm, so he just played with DeVito and put up a thousand yards. That's pretty yeah. impressive.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So yeah, That's
1: pretty good. DeVito's <laughs> so bad at throwing the ball. Uh, it's funny
0: well, that you talk about him, how it stuck out to you. And that's how I was with Claypool and McFarlane both, where I was like, man, I wish I would have had those guys. <laughs> um, yeah. All right, get to uh, your next one then.
1: All right, um, let's go. Again, wide receiver. Uh, it's just such a deep class. Uh, Devin DuVernay. Uh, dude, all this kid did was produce game after game after game after game. I, I keep Jake, I, I don't know why he's going in round three. I have no idea. He ran a four four. He has really good hands. He breaks tackles. He produced against top competition. He might be a little small, but like if you're putting all these other guys up there who are pretty much slot receivers, why isn't Devra DuVernay up there? I I I don't know, Jake. Why?
0: Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, if you've accepted the fact that, yes, I am taking a slot receiver here, then I don't know what else you're looking for. I mean, he had a monster season. He was incredible last year, and that was his first year in the slot. You know, I mean, he was a big recruit kind of flailing in his career a little bit, trying to find his footing, and that was absolutely the answer. So, yeah, I don't know. seems like his stock should be pretty high to me.
1: Well, there's a point there, too, because that's why I like taking outside guys over inside guys. Because I feel like guys who make it in the inside, are you can take these guys who don't make it on the outside and slide them inside. Right. Where, where I think that it's harder to take inside guys and take them outside. Yeah. Yeah, so
0: that's definitely a just, good point.
1: Just a point there.
0: Okay, um, I'm going to get into my next one. I'm going to go quickly on this one because I don't have a ton of offensive line breakdown ability, but it's Trey Adams, the offensive tackle for Washington. They have him at number 162 in the mock draft. And really, this is just, is there anything left there at all? Because a couple years ago, if you would have thought that he'd be a sixth-round pick, it it just seemed crazy. Uh, He went from a second-team All-American to a third-day draft pick. I mean, but he's 6'8", 3'18". It just seems like he's worth a flyer there. And just if you could get him in shape and you can get him motivated, you know, as he keeps filling out and everything, as he keeps getting older, I, I mean, I don't know. Is is there something there? It's, it's just a total dart throw, but look how late we're talking about in the draft. I mean, we're talking about in the area where you're saying you don't even want these picks. If you can take a lineman that's maybe he flames out, maybe he flops, maybe he's nothing, but at that size uh, with some of the tools he has, if you can you know, get something out of that, that could be worth it. So.
1: Yeah. Um, we, we talked all year about Washington have a really, really good, uh, offensive line and they're one of these, you know, systems where they just run an antiquated offense, but their offensive line was really, really good and graded out in a lot of different metrics. And, uh, I guess Trey Adams, was he the leader of this operation?
0: Yeah. I mean, he he was second team pac 12, I think. So.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to go watch some tape on him.
0: It's just not what he was a couple years ago. And it's just questions of, like, how in shape is he and that mm. kind of thing. So, gotcha. you know, just interesting in that way. So, um, all right, I think I have four left. How many do you have?
1: Okay, I want to make comments on two of your guys. Um, I have two left.
0: Okay, I'm just going to go through this one quickly. Rodrigo Blankenship, kicker for Georgia. Uh, this is almost as a joke. I mean, they have him at number 213. not <laughs> You what?
1: I don't endorse this one, but I'll let you go.
0: It's, it's basically, I mean, round seven, uh, they have him at number 213, whatever. I don't know. Uh, it's just, it's probably not worth it. I just thought it was kind of funny. We always talk about hot red blanket chip. This is his big moment.
1: Well, you know, it, it, I tell you what, if, if you look at the last three years, I I know I'm saying this a lot. You look at the last three years, fifth, sixth, and seventh round, she's just a lot of guys that didn't flare out. So why not spend your seventh round pick on a kicker rather than pick up a free agent, you know, <laughs> yeah,
0: I so. guess so. Uh, all right, we'll get into one of yours.
1: All right. Uh, another wide receiver. Um, another guy who really didn't have much working with, um, we talk about quarterbacking skills and that's, that's Joe Reed from Virginia. Um, he was a kick returner. Excellent there. So you like his oh, yeah. athleticism. Um, Bryce Perkins, I know everyone loves Bryce Perkins. He lights up the fantasy scoreboard. He's fun to watch. You know, he's elusive, but he is really not a great thrower. Um, Joe Reed lit up Notre Dame. Did pretty good against Florida. And Virginia is one of those teams where it, this happens a lot in college football too, and no one talks about it like in, in, in statistics, like. Some of these coaches, when they get up, they just motor it down, run the football, and get on to next week. And Virginia is one of those teams, so he was very game flow dependent. And it turned out Virginia won a lot of games last year, so they didn't attempt a ton of passes. So I, I think Joe Reed, because of that, is flying a little underneath the radar.
0: I like that uh, he was a, he's uh, yeah at the very least special teamer because like you talked about his kickoff return ability is next level. I mean, one of the best in the country. So. Um, okay. My next one is Jacob Breland, tight end for Oregon. They have him at number one sixty-nine in this mock draft. So that's what, I mean, you're talking, getting into the sixth round at this point. So, uh, the reason is, it's kind of how you talked about is guys who had their stock get hurt because they got hurt. Well, it was halfway through the season when he got injured and was out for the year. And I just think about it, you know, they played the PAC 12 championship game and the Rose bowl. And if he's one of Justin Herbert's favorite targets, a guy who's, you know, projected to be a top 10 pick. What does that do for him? Because in the six games that he did play 26 catches, 405 yards and six touchdowns That's 16.6 yards per catch. So, uh, you know, if you, you double that and, and make his regular season, 12 game regular season, I mean, that's a touchdown, a game over 800 yards, 50 catches, So it is one of those things where he's not a blocking tight end. But this is how I talked about It's a weak tight end class, and there aren't a lot of complete tight ends. So if most of these guys are more pass catchers anyway, you know him sitting at round six compared to some of those other guys who are going to go round three or possibly end of day two, whatever it is, I mean, I almost would rather take him here, and I feel like he'd be more considered to be up at least a tier had he not been injured. So I don't know how you feel about him there.
1: I absolutely love this pick. Um, I, I, I couldn't love it anymore. Um, we, we talked about it last year. When he went down, Oregon lost a big part of their offense. I mean, he was really good for them. Uh, yeah. And they just couldn't replace him. Like, their tight end production went to zero. Uh, it, it was like literally nothing. Um, so that tells me maybe he wasn't more of a product of a, of a scheme, and he was just really good in getting the football, you know. What do you think he would have ran 40 times? I don't
0: know. I couldn't say, I don't know. I'm not couldn't
1: sure, say. but yeah, that's- it is
0: one of those things that we, like we tried uh, cause Cam McCormick was out their other tight end. So they were down to Spencer Webb. And I mm-hmm. remember the one week in DFS, we were like, ah, he's 3.4 K. Should we give him a chance? <laughs> and it was like maybe he'll get a miracle touchdown for us or something like that. But that's what we were hoping for. But yeah, you're right. I mean, when Breland would play, I mean, he was a, he was a viable option. So yeah, I mean, it, it it fits more into the modern game anyway for him to be a pass catcher first. So I just thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah, I'm on board with that one.
0: Okay, what else do you got?
1: All right, my last one. I know we're the Power Five cast, but um, I'm gonna sh- do a shout out to a team that we covered a lot on Thursday night, since we are you know recording this on a Thursday night. Um, Akeem Davis Gaither, uh, linebacker from Appalachian State. Um, this guy was not recruited at all whatsoever. Um, He's a hybrid edge linebacker. You know, we talked about that. You kind of talked about Patrick McQueen. He can rush the passer. He covers. He can tackle. He was the Sun Belt Defensive Player of the Year. Um, he's a great leader. He talks about having this chip on the so- on his shoulder because he was a two star recruit. Um, and I just think, you know, now that we have this shift in football, of hey, we're not playing football in a telephone booth anymore. These are the type of smaller, athletic linebackers you want to target who have upside. So I absolutely love uh, Akeem Davis Gaither.
0: Wow, that is going deep. I don't know who he is, so I have nothing to add there. <laughs>
1: yeah, I like him. So, uh-huh. uh,
0: Okay, well, I will double mine up here because they're both receivers for my last guys on the third day steals. The, the first one is Antonio Gibson, receiver from Memphis. They have him as undrafted in the mock draft I looked at. Uh, I saw him listed at 6'2 in some spots, but on his NFL page, it was listed at 6 foot. But he was listed at 225 pounds and ran a four three nine. And he's just sort of a a weird player. I can't quite put my finger on him. He was a basketball and football player in high school. And just the way they used him, he had 369 rushing yards on 11.2 yards per carry and four touchdowns. Uh, And then also it's 735 receiving yards and eight touchdowns on almost 20 yards a catch. So he's just a big play guy like crazy. And I just look at it for an undrafted guy, if you can bring him into your camp and and you're looking at, okay, so do we want a number five receiver, a practice squad type guy, maybe a special teamer, or maybe this guy could be number one on the depth chart as our offensive weapon where it's end around. I mean, he's got the speed, he's got some size. It's just... I don't know how much Memphis you watched last year, Bob, but every time this guy had the ball, I swear to God, I thought he was going to score. I mean, he averaged 28 yards per kickoff return, had another touchdown there, Uh, 13 total touchdowns for a guy running in the four threes with that kind of size. As an undrafted guy, I I, I would be willing to bring him in to see if there's anything there to work with.
1: Yeah, I don't don't think there's any way he goes undrafted. Um, I I 100% am on board with Antonio Gibson. Um, Anyone who has... Breakaway potential like he does. Um, hey, you could even convert him to running back. He looked great as a running back at times. Um, so I am all on board. All so you think board.
0: you think he will get drafted?
1: Oh yeah, hundred percent. So
0: okay, well I feel good about that one then. And then my last one here was quickly Jawan Jennings, uh, wide receiver for Tennessee. He's at number 230 in the mock draft. He got he had the worst, uh, such a terrible day at the combine and, and no pro day to help him. He's one of those guys where why run? He ran a 4.72, just a 29 inch vertical jump. So that absolutely kills him. He's going to be 23 at the start of the season. He was a five year guy at Tennessee. The thing I will say for him, he was a productive college player. He's 6'3, 215, uh, so he has some size there. He, he almost could be a, be a pass catching tight end kind of guy. You, uh, you can almost think of him that way. And then last year at Tennessee, even though they had so much trouble at quarterback, he averaged 16.4 yards per catch, had almost a thousand yards and nine touchdowns. So it's not like he was in a great situation. He was productive. You know, he's going to be in the slot. He, he doesn't have much speed, but he does have some size there uh, and put up numbers in the sec. And, and the team that plays Alabama, Florida, Georgia, they play those teams every year. So I uh, was still able to produce. So yeah, at the very end there around seven, not great guy athletically, but you know, take a shot, see if you could make the team, be a preseason type guy.
1: Yeah, he's a guy that just because he ran at the combine, he lost a ton of money. Because, um, like you said, I mean, Tennessee's a team that they weren't looking to air it out at every play. That's for darn sure. They're looking to uh, four yards in a in a cloud of dust. So, I, I do, I am skeptical about that four point seven two forty, and he shouldn't have ran.
0: Okay, so let's get into our bus now. We're going to move to that category. I have two guys here. I think you have three. So do you want to
1: start us off? I do. Um, Derek Brown. Um, he might be a great player. <laughs> We're talking about this it fool in the face. Big D tackles just don't move the needle on the football field as much as other positions. Jake. Who is the last dominant defensive tackle, like, over 300 pounds to – I mean, there are some out there. I, I guess I should say there are some out there, right? But I just feel like to win big football games, when you have to take a, spend a top 10 pick on Derek Brown, I, I just don't think it makes much sense to take a guy who you can ha- you can find better players – or you can find players who make more of a difference at positions that make more of a difference. So because of that, I think the opportunity cost of taking Derek Brown it, it is very high here um, relative to the draft capital spent.
0: Yep. Couldn't agree with you more. So, yeah, it's not really even his fault that it, it's just based on where he's going to no. get drafted. So uh, my first one is Jonathan Taylor, the running back from Wisconsin. Wow, It's just look, he lost 15 fumbles in his career at Wisconsin. He lost 15 fumbles That's a lot. that that is a lot of fumbles in three years he also had 968 offensive touchdowns and offensive touchdowns offensive touches in three seasons so just a a ton of work piled on him he did get better as a receiver as his career went on that should help him a little bit but just a guy with a ton of work, even though he improved at receiver, he's still not as natural there as you would like for a guy who could be at the back end of the first round, early second round uh, and the fumbles that just scares me to death. I, I don't like taking running backs like that. I know he tested well, and I know he has speed. I'm not even saying it. Like, I mean, I'm sure he could be a good running back for a few years, whatever it is, but it's just where he's getting picked in the way we look at running backs. I'm, I'm out on where he's going to go.
1: Yeah. It sounds like Bill Belichick's not taking him with those fumble issues.
0: (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Oh, man, I couldn't believe that. That's a lot of fumbles.
1: That is a lot of fumbles. Wow. Um, All right. I'm going to go with a running back, too. And this goes against Pro Football Focus, which I don't do very often. Um, But I'm going to name a running back here. And it's going to be Zach Moss. All right. I posted some stuff in the Twitter account. I think he, his vision is questionable, all right? I think he plays in a scheme that really makes the uh, the um the running back look good. If you look at former running backs Joe Williams, you remember him? Yeah. Or or Devonte Booker, remember him? Yes. I mean, those guys put up absolute numbers in Utah's offense. Yeah, and they I think did. One of those offenses where Whoever the running back is, they're gonna benefit. Um, so I have questions uh, about Moss because of the system he played in, and there were some p- teams in the pack that were pretty darn bad where he racked up stats against. And there are a couple plays um, against uh, Oregon in the in the title game there where I just thought his vision really, really, really lacked against tough and better competition. So because of that, I'm gonna take a. A bold, it's bold, but I'm gonna say he's gonna be a bust.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on him. I I just don't. He he's not well rounded enough for me. I, I don't know what he does that's really gonna blow you away. I, you know, I don't know. Um, okay, I'm gonna move on to my next one. It's makai Beckton, the tackle for Louisville, and I I'm reluctant to put him in the bust category, but yeah. it's just one of those guys where <clears throat> it's kind of this runaway hype. And I don't like to get wrapped up in that. And what ends up happening, he didn't grade out that well when he was actually at Louisville, as far as the PFF numbers go and stuff. And, and it always concerns me when a guy, you know, if the, if there's a guy like Tristan Wirfs or Jedrick Wills or Andrew Thomas, some of these guys that we're talking about that are going up there in the draft we hear about them and we know who those guys are during the college football season because it, the word starts to get out you know it's, it it's sort of the last position where you start to learn about guys but you know if you really hear about a college offensive lineman there must really be something there but with beckton i i didn't really even know who he was until he was starting to put up these combine numbers and then all of a sudden it almost feels like it's this one up game of uh, oh, yeah, well, I like him as a first-round pick. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, I like him in top 20. And you just keep doing it until all of a sudden it's like you're taking him number seven, and it's like, what exactly happened here? Uh, I, I, obviously, the upside's there, and, and the testing is, is off the charts, so there is something there to like about him. But it kind of reminds me of Mo Bamba from the NBA a few years ago where <clears> – <throat> He tested really well at the, at the, at the, the skills stuff. He had all the measurables and, you know, he, he was from Texas. So being out in big 12 country in Kansas city, I watched more big 12 stuff and it was like, yeah, but I watched him play a bunch of times at some point, what he does on the court has to matter. I kind of feel that way with, with Mekhi Becton, where it's like, that's great that all those numbers add up and the, all these measurables and everything. But at some point playing on the field, he has to show that he actually lives up to that. And I don't feel like he's done that. So I have concerns there, and I feel like those guys are are, are all safer and, 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 and still offer quite a decent ceiling for themselves. Uh, especially Wills, the more you talk about him. So uh, I have concerns there with Beckton and with with how strong of an offensive line class it is, it'd just be a real shame to go swinging for that guy and then see five other teams uh, around you with the tackles they take. You know, walk, walk home happy. So
1: yeah, I have uh, Becton in my scheme issues. Uh, category, which is the only guy to do it, make that list. Um, So I'm going to talk about him now. Louisville runs this gadget offense, and I I think a lot of people don't really understand that. Um, I watched the Notre Dame game. Mackay Becton literally cut blocked like seven times. Louisville's offense is all this gadget, it's misdirection, it's screens, it's counters, it's fake reads. If you're a linebacker reading your keys against Louisville, you're absolutely screwed because you're going the you're going one way and the football's going the other way. I saw this. Um, it's Scott Satterfield's the head coach, right? Yep. I saw this um, clip of him being the option quarterback in high in the high school or college, and he actually looked pretty fast. But it almost looked like an 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 option team out of shotgun, where they're just always looking to confuse the defense and show the ball one way, and then go the other way. And you run that type of offense when you protect a bad offensive line. And for Mackay Becton, he had very, very few offensive line-type plays that you're going to see in the NFL. So he was really hard to evaluate. But when you go back a year, you could see some definite concerns in his tape, especially in the Alabama game. So can he be good? Yes. He has the size and speed of a – Potential all pro, but he's not a sure thing by any stretch of the imagination. So he's a guy I would love to get him in for to camp and do a bunch of different, you know, training and workout and see how his feet are in these traditional NFL pass sets and NFL type blocks.
0: Yeah, perfect. Um, okay. Do you have any more of these guys in your bust category?
1: I do. So Henry Ruggs is going to be a bust of mine. Um, Jake, when we played um, DFS with Alabama receivers, <laughs> was Henry Ruggs the first, second, third, or fourth option for you to play in the DFS, <laughs> right? He was
0: he was the third, but even at the beginning of the year, he was fourth, I think, because Jalen Waddle's price was so cheap. But yeah. then Waddle didn't score a touchdown forever. So, yeah, he, he moved up at least beyond him.
1: But you watch him; it's like, when is the production going to come? These other guys produced. Why isn't Rugs producing? You know, you see these highlight videos of him dunking the ball, and it's phenomenal. Don't get me wrong, but like, and then you look at the track record of all these hyperspeed guys. You look at John Ross. You look at Jacoby Ford. You look at J.J. Nelson. You look at uh, Darius Hayward Bay. Until it, pro- they proved me wrong that one of these top speed guys can make it in the NFL you know, Tyreek Hill, not understanding, I want, I want to see it, you know, before sure, I set. Yeah, there you go. So there, let's put it this way. There's more guys in and in it's a way higher bust rate when you have these super speed guys who don't produce in college. And I think we can safely put rugs into that category.
0: Well, and, and if he ends up becoming Brashad Perryman, are you happy with that? I mean, because that's a guy who, what, in year probably four, is starting to turn a corner a little bit. (laughs) But that's another one of those guys who fits into that category.
1: Yeah. There's all kinds of them, you know? So.
0: Yeah, he looked good at Alabama when he would just catch it on the run and just outrun everybody for a touchdown. But I don't know if it's that easy in the NFL, so. Uh, We'll have to see for him. Okay, let's move in then to our red flag players, whether there's a medical issue, character issues, some sort of thing like that. I have two players here. My first one up is Tua, and it's for obvious reasons. And I talked about this in part one when I went over him in my mock draft. It's just going from the injury and then having that same injury except on the other leg and then having to have a second surgery in the same season, the third surgery overall in a little over a year. And not being able to finish the season, that's just what gives me so much concern. So, like I said, I I have him mocked to the Dolphins. If he doesn't have to start there in year one, and then years two through four are going to be crucial for him to prove to a team that he can be a franchise quarterback. Or else he ends up being a guy who might bounce around a little bit and teams worry about. But it's just the injuries, and and he's just got to prove that he can hold up, especially with the NFL adding a game, a 17-game schedule. I like I say, I, I, it almost feels like you no, no matter what, you have to have a guy just start four or five games. It, it just to keep two arrested. I, I almost wonder if that'll become more of a trend for for guys like that. But, yeah, obvious red flags with him.
1: Well, what you said, um, you know, previously was very interesting, um looking at his numbers versus the poor competition, and Alabama plays a very soft schedule, played a very soft schedule the last couple of years versus the numbers of him versus better competition, I need to take a deeper dive into that. So that was kind of interesting for me. Yeah,
0: definitely. So, uh, Okay, so who do you have in your red flag category?
1: All right, so I have Russ Blacklock. All right. So it was brought to my attention that the Raiders brought to his attention that he had 37 (laughs) parking tickets at TCU. Jake, did you know anyone who had 37 parking tickets at college? (laughs)
0: no but that's awesome i don't i don't even i don't even know how that happens i mean i guess did he just never move his car or something <laughs> or just no. never paid him off just parked wherever he wanted on campus
1: yeah you just i mean there's a, a lot of campuses there's very strict rules on where you can park and actually notre dame is there's rules where you can park and there were guys on the notre dame's team that would rack up these parking tickets that would just have a complete disrespect. Uh, You know, for the rules and regulations and didn't want to walk an extra 100 yards like the rest of everyone. And on top of that, they wouldn't even pay him. And I can tell you what, Jake, you know how many good kids ended up with a bunch of parking tickets at Notre Dame?
0: I have no idea.
1: Not many, not many. Maybe the good kids get one or two for a simple mistake. But the kids that had, uh, you know, tons of parking tickets for the most part, they weren't great kids. And not only were they great kids, it showed up in practice. They half-assed it in practice, showed up in the weight room, and they just didn't have the personal discipline. Um, so something like that, that's a huge red flag for me, as as crazy as it sounds. Just because my history of playing with people who had tons of parking tickets and knowing what kind of guys they were, I want no part of it.
0: Well, Bob, that would sound like a crackpot theory if it was like a few parking tickets – But once you start getting into the number 37, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm willing to listen to what you have to say about this, because that's a lot of parking tickets. So that has if your theory is that means something, I'm not going to tell you it doesn't because (laughs) that's
1: a a big number. Well, it's like you these third round draft picks. Some of these guys are like career savers for some of these GMs. Like and you're willing to spend like a second or third round draft pick on a guy who you know is not going to work very hard. Like, come on, man.
0: Just give him a special parking space at the team facility as part of his contract.
1: Yeah. I just think that
0: He gets to park in the in the practice facility.
1: Everyone yeah, else has to great.
0: park in the parking lot. He just gets to drive right up.
1: Yeah, he'll be the first guy, uh last guy in and first guy to leave. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right.
0: That's awesome. Um all right, well, yeah, my next guy for the red flag category is Willie Gay Jr., the linebacker for Mississippi State. Oh boy. You know, I think he's actually move, starting to move back up a little bit because I saw him as like a third round pick. And then I saw him the other day as someone saying the Bengals might take him even in the second round. It's a guy with first-round talent. He punched out the freshman quarterback, Garrett Schrader. Uh, The coach gets fired at the school he's at. Everything that Dan Mullen did kind of fell apart over the last couple years at Mississippi State. He was part of that because uh, other than punching the the freshman quarterback, he was also suspended for like eight games this season. And they got to choose which ones he played because so many guys were suspended. I forget what the whole scandal or whatever he was involved in. Uh, so just red flags, his first character that goes, but again, it's another one of those guys where it's like, he'd be a first round pick. No questions asked if, if it wasn't for that. So
1: he's really good. Like he's, yeah. he's like, there's no question. Like this dude is really good. So, but you're dealing with another Brontes. Perfect. It looks like,
0: right. Yeah, I know that's the thing. And it just rarely ever seems like that ends up being worth it. So uh, okay. do you have anybody else for your red flags?
1: None? Nope.
0: Okay. Let's get into our props then. And we'll finish this thing off. So, uh, I, I used William Hill and Five Dimes as the two sports books I looked at, mostly just for draft position-type things. Uh, so I have a handful of things here. So what did you use, and do you want to get into your first
1: prop bet? I used uh, DraftKings, um, so I think it's good we used a couple different books. Um, one thing to note here, <laughs> with the lack of sports going on, these books are posting a ton of action on the draft. I actually wouldn't be surprised if DraftKings posted a huge contest on the draft. So something to monitor because I think there's going to be a lot of action this year in the draft.
0: Nice. Uh, Okay, you want to get into your first
1: prop? Yeah, I'll get into my first prop. Uh, I have the Panthers taking Isaiah Simmons at plus 250. Um, You look at schemes and the teams that draft ahead of them, like the Lions, the Dolphins, um, those are Patriot schemes, and those are more like – This player is – the prototype for this position is X, and the player needs to be uh, X or he doesn't play on this defense. And Isaiah Simmons is a Y-type player, um, and I don't see him being drafted to some of these teams that are very, very rigid in their defensive scheme. So that said, uh, I think the Panthers take Isaiah Simmons at plus 250. I I think there's basically a 50-50 shot they get him, uh, so I think it's good value there.
0: Yeah, and the, the other good thing is you know nobody's trading up to get him. If teams are trading right. up, it's just to get a quarterback, which is just going to push keep him pushed down to the Panthers at 7 there. So there's right. not much concern with anyone leapfrogging them in that spot. So, Right. <clears throat> okay, uh, my first one is Antoine Winfield Jr. Under 49.5 is his draft position. This really just has to do – Uh, He, you know, everyone knows about his dad being a big time player. He had two interceptions in his big game against Penn State in their biggest game of the year. Uh, It just seems like he's one of those guys that's starting to catch some buzz and just his name, uh, the value that that kind of comes with that. it, It seems like a top 50 pick if we're talking middle of the second round. Uh, I, I think he'll go before that. It, it, it seems like he's even moving up into the low 40s and a couple of the things that I looked at. So, again, it's just a, the, the guy with his name, it just seems like it, it takes one out of 32 teams to fall in love with that guy and say, like, that's our guy. He's a ball hawk kind of guy. Uh, you know, that that's his reputation anyway. So it seems like it's just going to take one. So top 50 pick, Antoine Winfield Jr.
1: You know, that's a guy that uh, I remember Joe talking about. You know, obviously my brother Joe played Ohio State. Um, he said Ohio State – What's bum, they missed out on recruiting him that he was a pro he was a you know he was a guy they really wanted, and uh, something happened where they ended up not getting him um, but that was a guy Ohio State wanted,
0: yeah, well, I mean, good to know that he developed at Minnesota still, but yeah, God imagine if he was on Ohio State these past couple yeah. years.
1: Yeah, uh, all
0: right, you want me to get into another one? I think I have more left than you yeah, yeah, go for it. Uh, I have Cam Akers under 73 and a half is his draft position. And so I'm just trying to think this out. You know, we're starting to get into uh, the middle of the, you know, outside of the top 10 in the third round at that point. And the way I'm looking at this is we're expecting a run on running backs, you know, in the second round at some point, end of the first round, beginning of the second round with Swift and, and Taylor and those guys, And so Akers, in my mind, doesn't feel like he should be that far behind them. And so it just seems to me as soon as a couple of those guys start going and there's a little bit of a run on running backs and he's the next one up in the tier kind of by himself sitting there. It's just going to take one team once that run starts to go ahead and get him before they think there's a drop off to the kind of Zach Moss and A.J. Dillon and, Eno Benjamin type guys that we already talked about. So just seems like he's the last one kind of in that tier for me. I was surprised at 73 and a half. I personally would rather have him than JK Dobbins straight up, but that's just me. Yeah.
1: I think it'd be a great spot to take him. Um, if you need a running back and you're not willing to spend the capital on, you know, uh, some of the top guys, which could be the end of the first round. So yeah, I'm hundred percent on board with that. Um, I'll go one here. I'm going to say this is, not really, uh, eh, it's an all right bet. But I'm going to say the Jets go offense for minus 400 here. Uh, I think they they realize they need to either upgrade the offensive line. They didn't sign Robbie Anderson, the wide receiver, to an extension. They need help in the offense. Um, I, I would be really, really surprised if they play defense. So I would put that number at like minus 700. So I, I think you're getting some value there. Uh, what number pretty- pick are they? their pick number um 11 i believe okay yep i i just think it's kind of free money so i thought i'd throw it out there
0: okay um i'll get into my next one i might do two again here i have okay. jeff okuda minus 120 to be picked before isaiah simmons uh this goes into kind of what you were talking about how you have simmons going to the panthers at, at plus 250 And then when we were doing our mock top 10, we both had him with the Panthers at number seven. And you actually had the Lions trading down to six, and Okuda still went to them before Simmons. Uh, And I have Okuda at number four. I've seen him mocked even at number three. Uh, It's just a more valuable position, I think teams realize that. So 120, I have him going ahead of Isaiah Simmons. And then I have Tua as the third quarterback drafted at plus 155. Uh, I don't know if I'm actually going to hang on to that one. Okay. Um, in my mock draft, I had Herbert going. I've heard the Dolphins talk about how they don't like Tua as much, and had been talking to the Bengals about trying to get up there. So that's sort of where my head was at with that. It's just, I don't know if the Redskins could. It doesn't seem like they can be trusted to actually take a quarterback. So that kind of throws things into a loop for me on that one. So, but it's just at plus one fifty five. That's what made me look at it. I so I don't think I'll hang on to it. But that was one I was at least looking at.
1: It's interesting. Um. yeah, I didn't even know that bet existed. I, I'm not sure that's available on DraftKings. So he had another reason to, uh, you know, shop bucks a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think that one was on five times. So,
1: yeah.
0: um, all right, well, what did you have next?
1: Um, I have uh, – I, I think we disagree on this one. I have Jalen Hurts under 60. I just think some team – some of these teams are starting to figure out that they need a mobile quarterback, and – Jalen Hurts is a lot more upside than some of the other quarterbacks getting drafted around him. So I think someone takes a stand on him and says, you know what? He's a winner. Um, he could has potential Dak Prescott upside. I'm going to take him. So I'm going under 60 there.
0: Okay. I will go. I have two receiver ones here. I have T. Higgins minus 110 to be picked before Jalen Rager. Okay. Uh, it seems like you know, some people think Higgins could even get into the back end of the first round there. And it's sort of how you talk about guys who could play on the outside. That's T Higgins. And he has the size seems more like the the prototype for an NFL number one receiver. Uh, and Jalen Rager had some concerns. I know we, we kind of talked about how is he really going to be the top guy you choose? Is, is, is you know, I guess it could be in the second round. Uh, I, I'm just a little lower on him and it, it, it seems like if you're going to take him, you might as well wait a little bit longer and, and get some of these other receivers we were talking about later on. But, um, yeah, so I have T Higgins possibly, cause what did we talk about? It's five and a half is the over under for receivers in the first round. I, I think T Higgins would be the one who would put it over the top for that. Wouldn't
1: he? Yeah. He might be that guy. So, so
0: yeah, minus minus one ten just seemed like decent odds there for that one. And the other one was, I have Brandon Ayuk not drafted in the first round at minus minus one forty. So not a ton to add for that one. Uh, you know, again, I don't I don't know. I, it seems like there's going to be a crazy run on receivers if, if that over under is at five and a half. But I don't I don't know. This, seems, this just seems high
1: to me. Well, like you said earlier, like if teams think that wide receivers really deep, maybe they're OK missing on a guy thinking, you know what? He might be there, you know, 10 picks from now.
0: Yeah, right. Instead of taking Higgins, maybe we'll wait and take Chenault next round. You know, instead of right. taking Ayuk, maybe we'll wait and take, uh, Heck, even Rager next round or whatever it is. Yeah. So,
1: so I, I, I think I think I like that. I might I might have to co uh, co sign on that one.
0: Okay. Uh, well, we'll have to see. Um, all right. Well, yeah. What do you have next then?
1: I, I'm I'm leery about this one after talking through with you, but I have Jordan Love over 19 and a half. Oh. Yeah. I'm just. I don't know. There's a lot of teams in that that area that really don't need a quarterback. So uh I I don't know. I might have to remove that one. What do you think?
0: I have Jordan Love under nineteen and a half at <laughs> plus plus one ten.
1: So yeah. And that's plus money. So
0: Yeah, it's plus one ten. Yeah, like I said, I had him number nine uh, in my mock draft. But I obviously that was just what I would do. But yeah. you know how teams get about quarterbacks. I mean, the Chiefs moved up from what was it like twenty nine to twelve to take Mahomes? I mean, so if there's somebody you like and it's kind of a thing where I think there's a drop off from love to the point where you're then talking about from or Eason or those kind of guys. And it's like if you miss out on that top three, there's a range there in the first round where it's like you got to get back in there and take your guy. Or for some reason, the Dolphins miss out. Then they're sitting there again at 18 where he could go at the latest. But who knows what would happen with trades or whatever. But it's just. At that position, being the number four guy there, I feel like somebody's going to bite the bullet and and take him.
1: Yeah, I'll probably lay off that one. I, I don't know if I'll go on the underside, but I, I probably need to get off the over 19 and a half. So.
0: Well, speaking of ones, I just real quick that yeah. I might lay off of, I had Jalen Hurts not to get drafted in the first three rounds, but only because it's plus 360. But with how much you've talked about him and kind of how we've just talked about quarterbacks and stuff, It does seem like they all get pushed up, so I I think I'm going to lay off of that one. So we won't be squaring off.
1: We're two for two there. Um, Okay. All right, the next one is kind of correlated, so you can kind of pick your poison here. Um, I have uh, Andrew Thomas under ten and a half. I like that one. And also, I... I thought this was really good odds on this one. Andrew Thomas, first lineman to be drafted at plus 900. Oh, wow. It's like, it's like dude, there's, there's four top guys, and I think he's more of a Gettleman type than some of these other guys. So it's like, yeah, I, I think he's really a one in four shot. The, the difference isn't that much between these guys, and you're offering me 900. It's like, yeah, I, th- I think I'm going to take that. So I, I think great value on that one.
0: I remember early in the season, Andrew Thomas was number three in one of the mock drafts I was looking at, wow. and now he's like at number fourteen in some of them. And I, I, I kind of agree with him. I, it's he didn't really do anything wrong to get knocked down to that spot, to get knocked down over ten spots. It's more like people just bumped up other linemen that they fell in love with, and not every pick's obviously going to be an offensive lineman. So it made it look like it was a bigger fall then maybe it really should have been because it seems like he's pretty well thought of as, as we've kind of talked about. So right. yeah, it just, just takes one. So, um, all right. My very last one is Justin Herbert under five and a half at plus one Oh five. Okay. So if that, that either, if it, if the chargers trade up like you had in your mock draft and, and move to number three and take two, then do the dolphins just take him at number five uh, it just I, I feel like there's room there if a trade happens between the Bengals, the Chargers, the Dolphins, or if a mystery team were to trade up, they'd want to get in there at least ahead of Miami and the Chargers if they wanted to make something happen there to get another quarterback. So uh I have him under five and a half in his plus money too. So
1: Gotcha. Yeah, yeah I, I, last think, one. I think that's decent, you know. Um correlates with your uh some of your other ones there. Um and then my last one is And this would go against your mock draft, but my last one is uh, the exact draft order of Burrow, Young, and Tua at plus 325. Um, I I just think there's – I have that more as a 2 and one chance, and I I just think there's some value there.
0: That pretty much guarantees a trade, right?
1: Uh, Yeah, for sure. So
0: The Lions wouldn't take a quarterback? I, I don't know what Stafford's situation is, but.
1: No, I, I think they're they're fine with him. Heck, he's 32, and yeah. you know how NFL teams think. I mean, a couple of years ago, the Bengals were like, yeah, we're good at quarterback. We got Dalton. Now yeah. it's like, well, we, we, we're we really not, you know.
0: It's like so. just good enough to keep him around, but not good enough I to actually do anything. So. Exactly. Okay, well, Bob, that's going to do it. Do you have any final thoughts? Anything you want to leave people with as we're starting to get into the draft here? I mean, that's going to do it for our coverage of this this whole exercise that we did. I thought it was a pretty good time. What do, what do you have to leave listeners with?
1: Yeah, I'm going to do some um, uh, draft prospecting on some tape watching on Trey Adams. Uh, number one, I know you had him as a sleeper, and also Shane Lemieux, the guard out of Oregon. So kind of excited to look into those guys, and I'll post my thoughts on Twitter.
0: What is your Twitter handle for people to find?
1: It's at BobbyBurger41. So making memories. Okay.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much for tuning in. I, I think we're all excited to to finally get some sports action to get this draft going. So, uh, you know, leading up to it, we thought there was going to be a UFC fight that gets canceled. We've just been so deprived of sports. At least we have this draft coming up. So, Bob, it was fun going through all this stuff with you uh, and really getting ready for it. So, give us a follow at Power Five Cast. We'll retweet all of Bobby's stuff, his thoughts on all these linemen, uh, linemen, his breakdowns that he does. It. He's already done it on some of the top guys. So, go back and look at that. It's really good. Uh, so, follow us at Power Five. We'll be back in a few weeks. I think we're going to try to do a little bit of a house cleaning type podcast and sort of see, you know, based on everything that's happening with the coronavirus, if these schools, if they have dates for when they want to open back up, if they're going to have any kind of training camps, if the season's going to get moved around or shuffled around at all, we're going to pay attention to all that stuff. And we have more clear answers. We'll come back and we'll do a podcast to cover all that stuff. But uh, for Bobby Berger, I'm Jacob Doyle. That'll be it for our 2020 NFL Draft coverage. Enjoy the draft on Thursday night. Until next time, take